are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Danielle Lasusa. She is a philosophical coach based in Portland, Oregon. She has a PhD in philosophy from Temple University and a certification in philosophical counseling from the American Philosophical Practitioners Association. Hey, Danielle, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, I've been looking forward to this episode. I think it's going to touch on a lot of um, issues that are close to my heart, mm. being a philosophy nerd myself. <laughs> um, so I, I want to first get started with giving the audience an idea of who you are, the work you do, and the kinds of challenges that the clients that come to see you often are facing in their day-to-day -day life. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm a philosophical coach, which is a title that I just sort of invented because <laughs> That's uh, the best kind. <laughs> <they're>... <laughs> Love it. because there aren't many of us. Um, yeah. I So I kind of did my education in traditional academia, and I assumed that my career was going to be teaching philosophy to undergrads at a small, you know, liberal arts school in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> And then, and then I, you know, I found a partner, got married and, you know, turned out that like, maybe he didn't want to live in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't particularly want to live in the middle of nowhere to, to take one of those academic jobs, uh, of which there are fewer and fewer these days. Yes. And, um, and I, I learned as I was actually on the job market, I was interviewed, uh, by some people who had who told me about the certification program that they had done in philosophical counseling. And I just, something about it, I was like, wow, that's really cool. What is that? Tell me more. And uh, that summer I went and I, I went to New York and got certified, uh, as you said, from the American Philosophical Practitioners Association. And the idea essentially is that philosophy offers actually a pretty good foundation for counseling. Um, philosophers are, um, you know, maybe not, not always the most, um, should we say, uh, interrelational, uh, <laughs> not their forte. <laughs> <natural>. no. <laughs> yeah. There's some, there's some terrible socially awkward philosophers in the world, but <laughs> if you happen to be one that can talk to people, um, it also comes with this skill set where you, you think um, critically about things and you have to kind of put yourself in someone else's worldview and really understand their perspective and understand sort of the assumptions that they're making and, and uprooting those hidden assumptions and looking at where ideas conflict and where, you know, what sort of the logical consequences of certain ideas are. And, um, and then there's this whole body of literature for living well, for how to live well. And, um, you know, how to think about the good life and what is the right thing to do and how, you know, what is the goal? Do we want to be happy? What is happiness? How do we get there? What should we be doing? You know, there are thousands of years um, 
of philosophers who've been asking these questions. And so as a person who is well studied in that area, I have a, a rich um, body of literature to draw from in talking with clients. Right. So uh, I, uh, I reached a point in my life where it was sort of clear that I wasn't going down the traditional academic route anymore. I just decided that I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to have to sacrifice uh, lots of other things in my life to continue to take jobs that would kind of bring me to far-flung corners of the country. <laughs> and so I decided that um, that I maybe I should try this counseling thing. It was sort of the only thing I could think to do that felt sort of right. And, um, and so I went back uh, and I actually got recertified um, because it had been like seven years in between these two things. Um, and, uh, I went, got recertified and, and, and then I made a website and <laughs> I put a posting on psychology today with my like, um, counseling certification number and, and then people started to call me and, um, and then I, you know, here I am. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. The rest is history. As they say, yeah. I have yeah. so many questions and I'm trying to remember all of them. So <laughs> the, the first thing that springs to mind when I hear you tell that story is it, it just bewilders me how philosophical coaching isn't bigger than it is. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it on its face, right, philosophy, you know, the love of knowledge, the love of, you know, thinking about the world, thinking about your place in the world, isn't this in theory, at least, supposed to be exactly what coaching is centered mm -hmm. around, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I, yeah, I, I, it just kind of reminds me of, you know, I, I've heard it said that one of the tragic truths about our world is that those that are right are often the ones that doubt themselves the most. Mm -hmm. And those that are wrong are often the ones that are so sure about themselves. And what that does is that creates kind of a, an imbalance in in the perspectives and the opinions that make their way out into the common understanding. And I think that that is probably one thing that's happening with philosophical coaching is that it's, it's exactly what you said. There is, there is a, a lower, I guess, you know, it's not as common to see or to meet somebody that is good with people that can express these ideas fluently in a coach, in a coaching setting that also has an appreciation and a fluency in, in philosophy and philosophical ideas. So, yeah. 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 I have two thoughts about what, what you've said. One, one is that, um, you know, Plato said that the people in charge of, of a society, of course, he thought they should be the philosophers, but he yeah. also said that I they kind should of agree, be. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> he also said that they, they should be philosophers because the philosophers won't want the job. The people who hmm. should be in charge are the people who actually don't want the job. Um, Thank because God they know. <laughs> that's never been truer than right now. But anyway, yeah, right? let me not go down that tangent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the second thought I have is that, yeah, I mean, philosophy for a long time, I mean, in a way, doing philosophical coaching is bringing back the um, the kind of original function of philosophy historically. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for a long time, if if you were someone who you know, we're struggling with something in your personal life. Uh, you know, if you were in, in ancient Greece and you were struggling with something in your personal life, you, you didn't go to a therapist. Like, they didn't exist, right? <laughs> Psychology as a discipline didn't um, sort of branch off and become its own body of, of study until the mid-19th century. And so, you know, before then, you either talk to a priest or you talk to a philosopher. 
And, you know, the, all of the platonic, platonic dialogues are Socrates talking to various people in Athens about whatever it is they're struggling with. And he, you know, does this kind of um, dialogue with them, asking them questions. And that's essentially what I do with people. Yeah. Philosophers were the OG coaches. That's, that's, that's right. awesome. Man, I never <laughs> thought about it that way, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So I, I want to ask you just to give some color to the work that you do. So can you just describe maybe, obviously without naming particular, you know, clients, of course, but some specific examples of how thinking from a philosophical perspective can actually help shift and ultimately improve a, a person's mindset. So maybe some specific challenges that clients face and how you approach the, those challenges from a philosophical uh, perspective. Yeah, so... About a year and a half ago or so, I started to kind of narrow my my niche for um, kind of the the ideal clients that I serve, and and my focus right now is um, helping new and expectant mothers um, grapple with the existential crisis of motherhood. Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah. I think that. It is not all of my clients fall into that um, that demographic. I, I certainly help people with you know career transitions and um, just relationship stuff, but more and more my clientele are are moms who are. I mean, the, the thing about the transition to parenthood is it's just the most profoundly philosophical experience. I think anyone can have. A, with the exception maybe of, of shepherding someone through death or, or approaching death yourself. Um, and it is to bring a human consciousness into the world and then to be responsible for the human consciousness. And particularly if you're a birthing person to do that through your body is just, it touches the being of being human in such a deep way and we do not talk about motherhood like that in this culture you know motherhood is this um sort of glossy feathered glow of like pinterest pictures <laughs> and like i mean it's just ridiculous yeah. you know it's like do you have you know where's the baby bump how do you dress when do you get your body back are oh, you gosh. just loving every minute of it it's yeah. like insulting yeah um to women and i think that we need to be talking about the birth of human beings in a much more rigorous philosophical way. And I think the reason we don't is because of the, you know, the misogyny that exists not only in the culture at large in dealing with women and women's experiences. We often deny women the possibility of having deeply robust existential experiences, but also philosophically, you know, women and women's experiences have been all but absent from the the philosophical canon until like the 1980s. Yeah. So, um, so there's just such a huge gap both in philosophy and in the sort of motherhood culture and conversation about the fact that this experience is is a intensely profound, deeply philosophical experience, and I think we need to talk about it that way. Absolutely. So the majority of my of my conversations with clients is about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I want to I think I know the answer to this, but um, can you share a little bit as to why you chose this niche in mm. particular? 
I, again, I think I know. <laughs> yeah, it's a story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a story. So, um, yeah, I, I moved from, I used to live in New York City. I was teaching at a school out there, a really cool school that I, I a job I really loved, but I didn't want to, um, I just didn't want to live in New York for the rest of my life. And so my husband and I moved out to Portland, um, where we live now. And uh, I was five months pregnant when we moved. Mm -hmm. And so I moved out here not really knowing anybody. And um, and I had a really, really difficult experience postpartum. Um, I, uh, I had planned to take a year off from working and uh, turn my dissertation into a book. I thought I could like write a book and uh, take care of a baby at yeah, the same time. Which... I can tell you being a dad, no, that is not happening. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, clearly I had some misunderstandings about what that entailed. <laughs> yeah. You had your philosopher cap on. Uh, yeah. You didn't yet have the mom cap on. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so I, I moved across the country and then, um, yeah, I think it was just like some crazy cocktail of uh, insomnia and a really difficult birth and not having community. I, did, I mean, we really didn't know anybody. Right. Um, and so, and my husband was working out of the house an hour away and I was home alone with not nearly enough sleep and not nearly enough support. And I ended up um, kind of losing it. My philosophy brain, I think, went into overdrive and I got to the point where I was like, how do I know I'm that this is real right now. I was like totally oh, you were the really in the deep end. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, and it's funny because I teach Descartes, you know, I taught it to <laughs> classrooms of undergrads when I was in grad school and, and earlier in my career. And, you know, the kind of like, how do you know that you're not dreaming right now? And it's like a fun <laughs> thought experiment. And the kids like, you know, their eyes get really wide and, and, <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's fun. But like, I was at the point where I was like, no, I actually can't tell the difference and I <laughs> yeah, need no, to go to the hospital. <laughs> that's serious. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I spent five days in a psych hospital and, um, another month and a half in an outpatient program, just trying to kind of come, come back to myself. And I, I, you know, my brain went haywire. I was yeah. thinking all sorts of, of really wild things. Um, and, and it was a really, really tough year. Um, and so, uh, you know, everyone's clearly 2020 is a tough year for everybody, but 2016 was harder for me than, than right now. Yeah. Um, well, for most people, 2016 was the beginning of hell, but, uh, right. in your, in your particular case for a different reason, but yeah. 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 That was just another, you know, piece of icing on the cake. Yes. Yeah. Man, so, that's a crazy story. Yeah. I mean, so, so that, that happened and, um, I always sort of knew after that experience, I always sort of knew that I wanted to um, work with women. I mean, I, I tried getting a job at like a private high school teaching like history to ninth graders and it was a bad scene. I was not happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this philosophical coaching thing was the only thing, honestly, it was like the only thing that I could think to do that didn't make me want to cry every day. And, um, and my husband was like, okay, if you'll stop crying, then go ahead, just please do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I always knew I wanted to serve moms, but I didn't really, um, I didn't really let myself do it for the first year. I think I was, uh, I was just like, I don't want to be like a mommy person. It felt so like, I didn't want to be part of the mommy sphere, like the bloggers. And I was like, I just don't care about like 
felt crafts to do with your kids or like <laughs> you know what Pinterest people... boards again yeah, yeah exactly yeah. I'm like I'm not going to be posting like organic cheese crackers you can make it home <laughs> like I just don't care I what I want to talk about is the fact that like I made a human consciousness that didn't used to exist and now I'm thinking about death all the time because I'm always worried that I'm going to die or this kid's going to die and like they didn't she didn't exist before and what does that mean and I, my brain's exploding and uh, I was talking to a business uh, mentor and she was like, you need to talk. There are other women like you. Like they have like people who want the felt crafts and the organic cheese crackers. They're plenty fine. What they're looking for is someone like you. So go find them. Um, and and so Amazing. I said, OK, yeah. and, and here I am. That's that's incredible. Um, and so a lot of things come to mind and I forgot half of them. But the the, the one thing that I thought of as you were talking was that the story you're sharing, I find to be, um, obviously the details are different in your case, but the mm -hmm. general arc of the story is is quite similar among a lot of coaches that I speak to, where they mm -hmm. have a general interest in coaching, but then one life event really propels them to, like you just said, they go into the deep end of whatever that, that event yeah. is. In your case, you know, you were having a lot of thoughts that you knew uh, later on were I mean, not healthy. You know, they, this yeah. was they, they were bringing you down, and you had to get back to baseline. But a lot of other individuals, they they have a different kind of deep end. You know, they go through a loss. They go they, mm -hmm. um, you know, they have a traumatic, um, well, in some cases, a, a career shift that totally shifts their world upside down, and and they don't know how to make that transition properly. But whatever the case may be, there is one catal there's one catalyst event that that makes clear what niche they want to occupy mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. And for anybody listening who has gone through that or will go through that, um, you know, traumatic event in a lot of cases, don't, don't shut that out. You know, like yeah. to, that, that's a, that's a sign that after coming out the other end of that challenge, you will be uniquely situated to talk about these issues with other people in a way that is so much more authentic Mm -hmm. And so much more um, helpful than than somebody who just simply has a degree in in whatever it is that you're that you're working on. So don't don't ignore that. Don't don't think, oh yeah, I went through a rough patch. No, like that that rough patch is what will make you yes. the best coach you can be later on. So I just wanted to um, highlight that. And yeah. um, well, I, and yeah. I just want to jump in and say, sure. like. Um, I'm really glad that you said that because I, I will say now, I mean, I always sort of, I was drawn to philosophy because I felt like it transformed my life when I was a young person. It, it, it was, um, I felt like I was thinking for myself for the first time and it, about a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And that's what drew me to it. And I knew that I wanted to, I always wanted to be the kind of philosopher that talked to the public and brought philosophy to the public. But I, I didn't quite know what my story was. Like, I didn't know what it is I wanted to say. I just knew I wanted to write books that people were going to read um, and not just academics would read, but like the public was going to read. Yeah. And after having this experience, I feel like I know now what my story is and I know exactly how in a way I'm kind of living the career that I always wanted. I'm teaching courses, you know, I, to people in the community about motherhood and and the last time I, I taught this course called the meaning of motherhood and I'm there and I'm talking about like feminist standpoint epistemology with just like a, a room of 15 women who 
we're like in a coffee shop, you know, like a back room. And it's just, it's a way of bringing philosophy to the people to use in their everyday lives that will transform their everyday lives. And it's the thing that I always wanted for myself, but didn't think was possible. And after having the experience that I had, my, I am able to live more courageously because I was just so far down. I felt like the bottom kind of dropped out from underneath me. But at the same time, it's like as the bottom dropped, the top also lifted. And I feel like I I live in a channel that is much bigger and richer. And I am able to live more deeply into my life and into the things that I want. Because like, what's the worst that could happen? Like the worst thing that I can think of happening uh, has already happened. And so... I am much more courageous in um, doing the work that I'm doing because of it. And I'm really grateful for this experience now. I never thought I would say that when I was going through it, but I'm, I am now very grateful that I have been through that. Absolutely. And if anybody out there has a weird, you know, interest, weird quirk, like something that they're, they're looking at all these, like you just mentioned, the, the organic cheese crackers and the Pinterest board, <laughs> and everybody has like the same general set of interests, it seems like. But then you kind of have this weird quirk where, like, why does nobody want to talk about the stuff that I'm interested mm-hmm. in? Well, actually, they do. You just mm-hmm. have to, you know, t- find a way to turn that into a career. And I can't think of a better conduit for uh, let's say, weird quirk that only I like, um, you know, turning that into a career, coaching is perfect for that because you can you can take the general structure of coaching and mold that in so many different ways. Like I, I've had conversations with coaches that specialize in laughter therapy and equine mm-hmm. center coaching and, um, you know, they, it, it just runs the gamut up and down. There's no limit and actually, this is a separate discussion. That's kind of the problem with coaching sometimes is that it is so wide open. But um, mm-hmm. in my opinion, mm-hmm. as long as you're within the confines of, you know, the ethical standards that, say, like the ICF uh, puts forward and, and you have that general framework in place, then I think you are free to mold your coaching practice in in whatever, um, you know, wrapping that you feel is is appropriate and and most conducive to your best work. And that's exactly what you've done. So it's it's an inspiring story to to hear yours and, and so many other coaches that shared a, a similar path. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, I learned about a coach once who specializes in teaching people how to do handstands. <laughs> I haven't heard that. One. I got to get him on the show. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. yeah so you can kind of do do lots of different things. <laughs> Hand, I, okay. I got to think about that one. But um, so getting, I guess, getting back to the central focus of of the show, um, I I want to pick up on something that you just mentioned regarding, um, you know, you you were in serious psychological trouble after mm-hmm. you gave birth. It wasn't just it wasn't just like I feel a little sad or um, I need to go see a coach. Like at that point, really, your particular situation was geared more toward psychotherapy. At that point, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's outside of the realm of of coaching, and in fact, coaches explicitly should should not um, see clients that are really in that depth of, yes. of despair, um, right? Because that's really not, that's really not the coach's lane. So what, what, what I'm leading to is when you see a client, um, do you ever encounter a client who would be best served by traditional psychotherapy? And if so, how do you go about determining 
um, you know, that distinction, like if a client should be with you or with the therapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, I think that that concern that you just raised is part of the reason I think I resisted going into this um, niche for a while because I was just like, look, I am I, I am not trained to help people in uh, the kind of psychological crisis I was in. Um, but I think because I went through it, I um, I am really careful about when I'm you know talking with clients, sort of seeing asking lots of questions about you know. Uh, when things get bad for you emotionally, you know, if people come because, they, you know, people come to coaching for all, excuse me, people come to coaching for all different <laughs> reasons. Sorry, I bumped the mic there. <laughs> okay. um, uh, and so they, um, they need to be at a place where they are struggling, yes, with some things, but not in distress. And I was clearly in distress. And so a lot of my sort of screening questions are asking about, you know, what does distress or what does when you are feeling kind of the intensity of emotions, what does that look like? What does it sound like? Is there any substance abuse? Is there any violence? Is there, you know, have you worked? What is your mental health history? Have you worked with therapists before? Um, you know, and a little bit about like any, um, you don't have to go into it, but you have any like history of trauma or anything like that. And so I do a really um, thorough job of screening clients in okay. the initial consultations that I have with them just to make sure that um, that I am, you know, ethically serving them. Um, and I generally take clients that are, you know, pretty well centered and have um at least some decent support systems into place. They're not in crisis and they're not in, you know, like food scarcity or a dangerous situation. If they are, then I just refer them to either other therapists. I, you know, I, I know a lot of therapists in town from doing this work in the motherhood space. I've met a lot of people who support women in different ways in that time of life. And so I have a pretty good network of, okay, if you're experiencing, psychological distress here are a bunch of here's a psychiatrist here's a psychotherapist you know if you need if you have food insecurity you can go to this organization etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. so um i think having a really good rolodex um of resources to refer people to is an important part of having a coaching practice absolutely having that referral network in place mm -hmm. um making relationships with people in in your field um well i guess related fields in the case of therapy it's mm -hmm. it's crucial because the last thing you want when you're with a client who you thought would be best served by coaching but is in fact best served by therapy, the, the last thing you want is to see their struggle and not give them any direction to turn because yes. like you can't help them as a coach. You're not licensed to help them as a coach. And worse than that, you can't even tell them who can help them. Right. So um, and that's not something any coach is going to want to have to go through. So. Um, again, yeah, stressing that importance of, of having that referral network is key. Yeah, and I would say doing it, um, doing as much of that assessment uh, as you can. Obviously, like as you start working with people, sometimes things come up that you couldn't have anticipated or you couldn't have seen or they didn't realize or whatever. And, and you have to sort of refer at that point. But I think it's I try and do it as early as I can because people can feel 
abandoned if you start working with them and then something comes up and you're like, oh, maybe I'm not the right person. And then they they sometimes will have this feeling of like, oh, I'm so messed up that you can't help mm, me. Interesting. Um, yeah. You know, and so um, I think trying to do that referring before establishing that relationship of trust that you don't want to have to break later if you don't, if you can help it. You know? Yeah, that's, that's great. I've, so I've talked about this topic with a lot of coaches, but nobody has brought up that particular um, issue and kind of um, advice really for, for coaches to make sure that they do that work as early as possible on the front end. Cause you're right. I mean, imagine put yourself in the shoes of a client. If you already build up that relationship it's kind of an it's kind of an implicit agreement between you and the coach that yes, this is an appropriate relationship, and we can right. try to 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 move you forward. And then if that all of a sudden ends, you're right; it's going to seem like abandonment. Versus if it's done immediately, or at least as close to immediately as possible, um, there is no implicit agreement that this relationship right. is going to work out. So yeah, I think that's right. so so important. Um, I, I want to ask kind of a related question regarding therapy. So have you had cases where clients had already tried therapy and were disappointed mm. in their experience? And what are some of the, again, without naming names, what are some of the maybe examples that you've heard or stories that you've heard in that respect? Yeah, I have. Um, you know, I have clients who've been to therapy in the past or uh, a lot of times it's like they've been to therapy and they're just like, okay, I get you know, I, I understand my issues now. I understand that, like, you know, I feel this way because, you know, usually it's like my mom and dad didn't love me good enough um, <laughs> or or I had some sort of trauma in my childhood or I had this experience. And I worked with a therapist and I um, kind of worked through understanding what my issues are. And I feel pretty like I've come to terms with that. But now I just sort of feel stuck, like I don't know how to move forward. And I think um, the work I do with clients can be helpful in that, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's identify what, what your goals are. And let's think about the, the work I do tends to be very um, kind of using cognitive tools. If, if you're part of your issue is like, I have this internal story of not being good enough for whatever reason, or of being, um, you know, that doing this is dangerous, or that if I take this risk, I'm going to fail or whatever the story is, you sort of identify the story. And then, you know, people, like I said, people have done the work in the past of like, I understand where this story comes from. It comes from these relationships from when I was young, but what do I do now? And I think the modalities that I use tend to be really rooted in um, in meditation and mindfulness, understanding that, you know, it's okay to feel feelings and um, to have thoughts and you don't have to believe them and you, you can accept the feelings and you can rewrite the story in your head to one that feels more um, supportive and encouraging because you realize that the story that you've been telling yourself is actually um, doesn't feel good and it doesn't help you to be the kind of person that you want to be in the world. And I think with a coach, there's a little bit more of this feeling of like, okay, I'm ready to move forward. So let's take these steps. Let's figure out what our goals are and let's make the concerted effort to get there. And as the resistance comes up along the way, we can kind of go back 
you know, to the basics and saying like, okay, what is the story you're telling? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it helping you to be the person you want to be in the world? And what would an alternative story uh, do for you? And how can you remind yourself of that alternative story? So, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's just a different emphasis rather than looking backwards. It tends to be looking forwards. Right, right. And see, this is exactly why I am always, well, I shouldn't say always, but now that I know about the work you do, I'm confused as to why philosophical coaching isn't um, more prevalent than it is. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, the commonality there is the self story, like telling yourself a story about your life. And Mm -hmm. every coach could tell you that the stories we tell ourselves, that idea is key to to coaching you know it's negative self-talk it's that's that's one kind of avenue that some coaches focus on mm-hmm. um but f- what is philosophy i mean philosophy especially some some branches of it are, are just stories you tell yourself about your place in the world um yep. others place in the world you know in relation to you i guess ethics right and yeah um so to me, they go together perfectly. So it's like, I don't, I, I hope that this catches on and I'm glad that you invented the term. So go you. That was, <laughs> that was uh, pioneering. Um, you are a maverick uh, for doing that. So um, yeah. So it's, well, thank you. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah I mean, it great. is, mm-hmm. it, it is. And philosophy is, um, I think the other cool thing about it is that you know, like, so for example, meditation and mindfulness is sort of like in vogue right now in the, in the therapy world. Mm -hmm. But as a philosopher, um, you know, I know and have taught for many years, the like metaphysical theory behind Buddhism, the idea that like, you know, all beings are interrelated and they're, you know, the self is, is merely a collection of processes and, um, and this kind of, you know, what is the nature of reality according to this way of thinking? And it's essentially the idea that we're all connected. And if, if you can sort of get down to that level and have people think about the possibility that in fact, the feelings that you're feeling of like, no one understands me or I am suffering and I'm alone in my suffering. If you can get down to this idea of like, well, what would, what would the world look like if you were to accept Um, or to um, hold the possibility that the world is actually interconnected in a deep fundamental kind of way and that you are related to all beings everywhere Um, and you know the last Caesar's last breath still uh, you know we we have a molecule of Caesar's last breath in every inhale we take (laughs) And, and that's true, not only of Caesar, but of Jesus and of Buddha and, uh, you know, of all the people on the planet. And so there's that interconnectedness right there. Yeah. When we get to that level, you know, maybe that's the story we can tell. And that is, we can find comfort and solace and support in that. Right. And what I find beautiful about this bent, the philosophical bent, is that it's rooted in, in truth. I mean, it's supposed to be at least rooted in truth. And it it has, um, I think, a distinct advantage because a lot of coaching philosophies, I shouldn't say philosophies in this context, but a lot of coaching, (laughs) (laughs) um, I guess, ideologies or or, or methods, kind of truth seems to be a incidental benefit for a lot lot of coaching methods. Um, And I'm not going to get into specific examples but I think anybody listening would know what I'm talking about. Um, and so that, that's why I like the philosophical method here, because it's, it doesn't just neglect, it doesn't just 
disregard truth as a as just a bonus. Like it's supposed to be rooted in it. Like the, the Caesar's last breath molecule example that you just brought up. Like that's not just a flowery poetic thing to say. It's actually true. And so, um, I think for somebody who appreciates this, this, um, viewpoint, the philosophical kind of mindset, it's going to be even more effective. I know that, I know that for myself. I mean, if I were to seek out coaching, this would be much, much, much more effective than speaking to a coach who's trying to like align my chakras or whatever. I mean, like that's, 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 that's fine. I mean, but that's just not going to do it for somebody like, like me. Um, and I, I don't, I just, you know, anybody listening to the podcast who is interested in, in this direction, I think they're going to get a lot out of the interview. Um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I, Again, I, I really, really appreciate your time to come onto the show, Danielle. And I want to give you the opportunity as well to give listeners a chance to read more about you and find out um, more about the work you're doing. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, anyone who wants to know more about me can just come to my website. Um, it's daniellelasusa.com. And um, yeah, I work with clients one-on-one -on -one, and I'm also um, launching an online version of my Meaning of Motherhood course. Um, it's a six-week online course that is about grappling with the existential crisis of motherhood. Um, you do not need to be a mother to take the course. I've had um, people thinking about motherhood, people who are pregnant, people whose kids are teenagers, um, partners of mothers are welcome, uh, providers for mothers are welcome, um, but know that it will be about the experience of motherhood. So yes, men can take the course, but it will not be about you. <laughs> <laughs> for once, gosh. I mean, it always is, isn't it? Right? <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, so come find me. And um, registration, I, I don't know when this, this uh, podcast episode's going up, but registration for that closes on September 28th. Oh, okay. So this will definitely be out, I would say, within three or four days. So listeners okay. would have plenty of time to to sign Great. up. Awesome. Awesome. Danielle, thank you again so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one. Thank you.